What is up, guys? My name is KJ, short for Khalil Jones, and this is Why Theology. Now, today, 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 I have a very special subject by the request of one of my church members named Destiny Kilgore. <laughs> I put a whole government name out there, but we were in church and we were discussing this, and I told her I'll make a podcast episode about this. And so I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people out there that kind of curious about this because maybe you've heard this in your church or just by different preachers that the church is Israel. Now, what does that mean, right? Maybe there's some of you guys have never heard that. Now, in theology, it's known as, you know, this term called replacement theology. Replacement theology. And that simply means that the church right now has replaced Israel as a nation. And so today, we're going to be discussing, has the church really replaced Israel? Stay tuned. And we're back, guys. Again, the subject today at hand is replacement theology. Now, usually I kind of ease into my conversations as far as on this podcast episode. But like this like discussion today or um, the logical issue is kind of like so weighty that I have to get straight to the point so I can discuss a lot of things and make sure like all this falls under like an hour. Because I can talk about this for hours and hours and hours. Because it's a very interesting subject. And basically, this all kind of deals with, does God still have a future plan for the nation of Israel? That's kind of all, um, it kind of falls into that. As you guys know, there's a biblical theology, biblical theology theme or name today on how people view the Bible known as dispensationalism. And dispensationalism, they would teach that there is a distinction between the church and Israel. Again, that there are two people of God. There is the physical seed and there's the spiritual spiritual seed that is those who profess faith who aren't born a Jew, that is Gentiles. And so dispensationalism would teach that there is two peoples of God, that God still has a people of God in Israel, but he also has the church. But that comes along with people that says, no, the church is Israel. And so that's kind of where I fall under and I'm going to be teaching this today. So hopefully it kind of makes sense. And I also believe that God does have a plan for Israel, but I'll mention that on the back end. But as you guys know, I am Reformed, to be specific, particular Baptist or a Reformed Baptist. And the framers of my confession, the 1689, they all believe in covenant theology. They also believe in this, that the church is Israel. Now, what does that mean? Again, in theology terms today, we use a term known as replacement theology. Oh, Lord. No, I mean, there is a term in theology that is called replacement theology. And people who teach replacement theology, they teach that the church has replaced theology. Or some call this supersessionism. That basically means that the church has superseded Israel, has done away with Israel. So like now the people of God who are in the Old Testament were Israel. They rejected their Messiah. And now the promises go to the Gentiles. And now the Gentiles has replaced Israel as a nation. And now it's the church age. So that's not what I'm going to be teaching today. That is known as supersessionism or replacement theology. What I'm going to be teaching today is that the church is Israel and always has been Israel. And so for me personally, I don't believe the church has replaced Israel. I believe that the church is Israel. Again, I don't believe the church has replaced Israel. Scriptures teach us that the that the, um, the church is Israel. And so the elect people of God, 
you know, those people of God had that has been redeemed and chosen before the foundation of the world who belonged to ethnic Israel of the Old Testament era, as well as the Gentiles and Jews today who are elect. They all form one body. That one body today is the church. So again, the church in no sense replaces the nation Israel, but again, the church is Israel. And so the nation of Israel in the Old Testament was a type of church in the Old Testament, but the, there were Jews a part of Israel who always had belonged to the church. As you guys know, now in this New Testament era we live in, the church is now visible, it's now seen. But in the Old Testament, it was invisible. And so David, Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, they all look forward to the coming Messiah. Therefore, they all belong to this church that we belong to now. And so they will belong to the church as well. But they were part of the invisible church. But now today, we are a part of the visible and invisible church, us professing Christians. But to start us off today, I should probably start like give us a little introduction about the humanity as a whole, how God, you know, basically the humanity or what's we're looking for? The history of Israel. That, that'd probably be better to say. <laughs> the history of Israel. As you guys know, God made two people, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, Adam and Eve, a man and a woman. Adam from ground, Eve from his rib. And these were the first two people of God. Or you could say of, this was the first of humanity. If you recall the story, how you know God told Adam, you guys may eat from anything in his garden, but do not eat from the tree. How easy is that, right? No, it's probably hard, right? Because we can't even obey God today. But anyway, God told Adam, you should not eat from this tree because if you do, death will enter the world. And so death has not entered the world. As you guys know, Adam and all his prosperity has fallen into sin. And so this, Adam and Eve, were the first two people. They made up the humanity of God. But what we see in the garden is a foretaste or a, uh, what's we're looking for? Impending foreshadowing of the Messiah to come. Listen to this. When Adam and Eve sinned, God said this to Adam and Eve. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He, the Messiah, shall bruise you on your head. And you, the devil, shall bruise him on the hill. And so we kind of get this foreshadowing that there's going to be some kind of person that comes in the future that destroys the work of the devil. And that person was, of course, the Messiah. So from here on out, God tells us what the entire point of the, the entire Old Testament is about. Again, he says, I will put enmity between you, enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on your head and you shall bruise him on the hill. That means the devil will strike the Jesus, but Jesus will ultimately destroy him. As you guys know, Jesus died on the cross. But during Jesus' death, it defeated and unarmed all the powers and authorities of the world. So Jesus defeated the devil at the cross. And so again, before Jesus came, the entire Old Testament is a picture or a search for the seed of the woman who redeem us and bring us back to Eden. And in Genesis 12, we actually get the answer. It was an offspring of the woman who would be the offering of Abraham. Again, the offspring of the woman would be the offering of Abraham. As you guys know, in Genesis 12, let me read this. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, his name hadn't been changed yet, but listen. Now the Lord said to Abram, 
go forward from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, if you ever read the book of Genesis, have you ever like focused on that part right there? And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Have you ever thought about what God intended right by there? The simple answer here is that God chooses Abraham as he is the offspring of the woman in Genesis 3 that we see. And God tells Abraham, I'll bless you and make you a great name, meaning to make Abraham a great nation. But also here, we get the goal of this blessing. Again, it says, in you, all of the families and earth will be blessed. The goal of this blessing is simply that uh, in Abraham, all the families of earth shall be blessed. It's kind of common sense. <laughs> but through Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed again, as you guys know that. So in essence, God is starting now a new humanity in Abraham. First, so the first humanity start off with Adam and Eve. And then you guys know with the situation that happened in Genesis 6, the flood, humanity was wiped off the face of the earth. And then you have Noah, and then finally now, Abraham. So God is, in essence, starting a new humanity through the seed of Abraham. Well, all the families in Abraham, I guess I, guess I should say. But if you guys will recall, God changes the name of Abram into Abraham because he wanted him to be the father of a multitude of a nation. So a key point that can be made here is that Israel in the Bible is the seed of Abraham. Again, Israel in the Bible is the seed of Abraham. So Israel as a people in the Bible is a seed of Abraham. But let's start here. How does the Bible define Israel? Again, how does the Bible define Israel? Not how we define Israel. How does the Bible define Israel? Well, one teacher today, he says that Israel in the Bible is defined as a covenant community centered around God and the law. Listen again, Israel can be defined as a covenant community centered around God and the law. That's how the Bible defines it. Notice how I did not say race of people. Again, Israel is defined as a covenant community centered around God and the law. It has never been it has never been an ethnic entity. So basically what I mean by that is membership to Israel in the Old Testament has never has never been entirely about race or dependent on race. But rather, again, it is a covenant community centered around God and the law. In other words, Israel can be defined in the Bible as exclusive. Wait, my bad. <laughs> so here's a question. In other words... Can Israel in the Bible be defined exclusively or solely as, you know, or by race? And the answer is no means, by no means. And I got four different examples of why not the Bible teaches us. For example, we can look at the, for example, we can look um, to Israel again as a community of faith in the Old Testament. But there are many cases of, of diversity within Israel. For example, again, I got four reasons or four points. You guys can pay me later. Number one, in many cases, it's seen, as you guys know, there were many intermarriages within the Old Testament. And so you have, 
you know, the Jews and different um, nations intermarrying. And so this was an example of how Israel is not solely a race of people because there were people, a part of Israel, that intermarried with a Jewish person that became a part of Israel. Number two, we can look at Ruth. Ruth. You guys probably don't know who Ruth is. I hope you do. R-U-T-H. <laughs> anyway, we can look at Ruth as she's often called the Moabite. So she's not a Jew, but she became a part of Israel in that story. As you guys know, we're told that she was the grandmother of David because she proclaimed that his people would become her people and that her people would become his. So listen to this. If Ruth joined Israel in the Old Testament by believing in the God of Israel, what does that say about us today? Again, if Ruth joined Israel, that is a, co a, com a covenant community centered around God and his law, if Ruth could join and be a part of this community by simply believing in Israel's God, what does that say about us today as Christians who are Gentiles? Number three, Esther, she's another example. In the story of Esther, it says many Persians declared themselves Jews. So it was possible to join the people of God. And throughout history of the Bible, we see this many times. But to further demonstrate, um, demonstrate this, Israel is not simply solely defined by an ethnic entity or solely by race. Number four, this is kind of the most simplest one and probably the, the, the nail, I guess you could say. <laughs> the end all be all. Paul teaches us that not all Israel is Israel. Again, Paul teaches us that not all Israel is Israel, meaning that there has always been a remnant community within the community itself. Again, Israel defined biblically is a covenant community centered around God and the law. But Paul teaches us that not all Israel is Israel. There has always been, again, a remnant community within the community itself. In other words, not only could people born on the outside join and be a part of this family, but the people who existed within this community of, you know, that is Israel, if they did not have faith in God, they were not true Israel, according to God. And so this, those are kind of four uh, reasonings why Israel is not just simply defined by race, but rather, again, you're going to leave this podcast knowing this. <laughs> That's the goal. Israel is defined as a covenant community centered around God and the law. And so I give you guys four different reasons why Israel is not simply defined by race or being a Jew. And so when we move to the New Testament, we see how the New Testament portrays Jesus as this true, ideal Israelite. As you guys know, Jesus was a Jew. The Gospel of Matthew and Luke starts off with the genealogy. For a reason, you guys probably read that and be like, no, I'm going to skip this and go to like Matthew chapter two. <laughs> but there's a reason why Luke and Matthew start us off with the genealogy of, of Jesus, showing how the story of Israel all ties in to Jesus. Jesus is this true, ideal Israelite. Again, as you guys know, through those genealogies, we're told that Jesus is the son of Abraham, but also the son of David. And so the gospel writers were linking, um, were linking Jesus to all of the narrative of Israel. The whole story of Israel all tied into Jesus. And that's because Jesus is Israel. He's an Israelite. And you guys remember 
the story uh, when Jesus, you know, he got his uh, glorified body and he already died this time. And there were two people traveling inside the road discussing what happened on the cross and how Jesus had died. And Jesus, he pops up, he pops up on the scene like OG and he says this. Uh, in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, he says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. In other words, all verses point to Jesus. As you guys know, they see the woman, they see the Abraham. Jesus is the true fulfillment of all of this. Every single word of God points to Jesus in some kind of way. And so, again, the whole story of the woman, the seed, Abraham's seed, it's all fulfilled in Jesus. The whole point of the entire Old Testament was to point us to Jesus. Again, Jesus is this perfect ideal Jew. There's another verse in John chapter 5, I believe. As you guys know, when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, uh, let me find this real quick. Jesus tells them that like, you search the scriptures and you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is these that bear witness about me. Okay, I found it. It's um, John, John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus says, so keep in mind, during the ministry of Jesus, this is technically still the Old Testament because Jesus hadn't died yet. Therefore, we're not in the covenant of grace yet. We're still working in a mindset of a covenant of works framework. But so for the Jews in that time period, they didn't have the full Bible. It wasn't complete yet. They had the law. They had um, Genesis to Malachi. That was their Bible. But for us, we have the entire Bible. But listen, for them, like I said, the whole point of the Old Testament was to point us to the Messiah. It was all pointing to Jesus. And he says to these Pharisees that were Judaizers, that were Jewish, you know, Jewish um, people that had the law. They believe in the law. They believe in Genesis to Malachi. Anyway, listen to this. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so you may have eternal life. And so again, all of scripture points to Jesus. Jesus, again, is the perfect ideal Jew. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, for as many as... Um, for as many as are the promises of God in him, they are yes. Therefore, all through, therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. The him here is Jesus. Listen again. For as many as the promises of God in him, they are yes. So we see in the ministry of Jesus how he is a reflection of Israel. You guys remember um, when the devil tempted him in the garden, he was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. And then Israel was also tempted. You see how he was obedient. But you also see how he was under the same covenant of works as Israel was under, but he fulfilled all these. And so Jesus is Israel. He didn't replace Israel, but he is Israel. As you guys know, he's an Israelite. And so Jesus is the true Jew. For proof of this, we have what Paul says in Galatians 3.16. Paul says, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Notice I said his seed, not seeds, but his seed. Listen in, listen to the full verse. It says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to the seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. So the promises of God 
belong to God. I mean, Lord, <laughs> the promises that were promised to Abraham referring to his seed has always been pointed to Jesus. And so there is only one offspring. There is not two. And that is Jesus. There is no spiritual offspring of the church and there is no physical offspring in Israel. Just one is offspring. This seed is Jesus Christ. So in Jesus, listen to this. This is very key. This is very crucial. Listen to this. In Jesus, he becomes Israel. But not only that, in Jesus, we, the Gentiles, join him in our unity. So we join biblical Israel. That's kind of that's kind of weighty. <laughs> listen again, though. In Jesus, he becomes Israel. But not only that, in Jesus, we, the Gentile believers, we join Jesus in our unity and we join biblical Israel. So basically, in other words, to dumb it down a little bit, <laughs> in other words, in our unity of, in Jesus, we join biblical Israel. Again, in our unity in Jesus, we join biblical Israel. And so for Paul, this is what he would call the engrafting of Gentiles or the incorporation of Gentiles into the family of God. And so if you read the entire New Testament, you know, all of Paul's writings, this is like his central theme or motif through all of his writings. He says this over and over and over and over. He says that the Jews and Gentiles are now joined together. Just to give you a little idea about this, Galatians 3.29. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants according, Herod's uh, according to the promises. Again, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, Herod's according to the promise. And so the question here is, what belongs to us as Gentiles? What do we inherit if we belong to Jesus as Gentiles? We inherit all of the, you know, according to the promises. We heard the Herod's according to the promises. And so again, Jews and Gentiles are now joined together. Paul says again in Ephesians 2.19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Again, he says in Ephesians 3 verse 6, To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Then he says, you know, and this famous scripture, Romans 11, verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, the Gentiles, became a wild olive, were grafted in among them, became partakers with them in the rich fruit of the olive tree. So we have become part of the tree. So the example that we're given in Romans 11, imagine this tree, right? And you have two branches. You have the natural branches, but you have... Um, branches that were grafted onto the tree so think about this in some sense for us as christian the history of israel it also belongs to us because we are spiritual Jew, spiritual jews i'm not saying that by race you're a jew but i'm saying spiritually you are a jew and so the entire old testament is also your history now you probably never thought about that but think about this abraham is our father, David is our father, and Moses is our father. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfect holiness and the fear of God. Having these promises. So we can say that to what David says, that the Lord is my shepherd. We can pray that same prayer. The Lord is my shepherd. We can pray what David prayed. 
David prayed that. And so we also pray that too, because David is our father as well, because we are all spiritual Jews. We're all one body of Christ. So this is probably a crucial point because I'm not saying that the Gentiles today has replaced the Jews by no means. Paul never said that in his ministry. What I'm saying is these Gentiles who are professing Christ and now have entered the kingdom, they have joined Israel. They were incorporated into Israel. This is what Paul calls a great mystery. Therefore, the church in the mind of Paul consisted of both Jews and Gentiles. This is the natural continuation of the story of Israel. Again, the church that Paul envisioned, that he had in mind, was that both Jews and Gentiles that were you know, joined together in this church, this is the natural continuation of the story of Israel. And so again, Israel primarily is not just a race or a group of people, but it can be seen as, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Again, like I told you guys, the, the community of people who believe in God and the law. And so, as you guys know, in the book of Acts, the first church consisted of many Jews. And so, what's more important? So, you guys know, again, so many people teach that, you know, today that the church has replaced Israel. And so, we're, by teaching this, we're saying that that God has done away with the church. I mean, not the church, but the Jewish people. And it's not what we're saying because you guys remember in Acts, the very first church was made up of only Jews. But then later on, these Gentiles were joining this church, this Jewish church. And so again, Israel is just a, the church is just a continuation of Israel because the church is Israel. Israel was a type in the Old Testament of the church, but now in the New Testament, it's now visible. And so the church is a story or a continuation of Israel. Again, by no means am I saying the Gentiles has replaced Israel or the Jewish people, but simply now. Gentiles are now joining or they're now being incorporated into Israel and we're now one big family of God not two but one but as you guys know is this not what um let me go back a little bit so um I should probably say this as well you guys know Paul about you know as he teaches about this incorporation of Jews uh, or engrafting night Lord I'm messing up <laughs> Basically, Paul teaches us in the New Testament, you know, in Romans 11, about this incorporation, inc incorporation, I keep butchering the word, incorporation of Gentiles or engrafting of Gentiles in his church. This wasn't something that was like plan B, for example. Like, for example, um, some people say that, you know, God had a plan for Israel. Their, his plan was for Israel, the nation, to bless the nations. And so when Israel fumbled the ball on the one-yard line, God says, okay, that's it. I'm going to the nations because Israel from the wall in one yard line. And so now God was shot by what happened or occurred with Israel. And he didn't know that was going to happen. And so now God has a new plan. No, no, no. That's not what the Bible teaches. You guys remember I had an episode about covenant theology. And I said there were three covenants. You had the covenant of works, the covenant of grace, and you had the covenant of what? Redemption. The covenant of redemption said that God, he established a truce or agreement within himself, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, that he will redeem a people 
before the foundation of the world. And so this engrafting or incorporation, basically the joining of the Gentiles to this body known as Israel has always been the plan. It's never been plan B. This has always been plan A. God knows what he's doing. He's sovereign. Again, this has always been plan A. God didn't just make this up randomly when Israel rejected the Messiah, but rather this is the covenant of redemption. He knew from the beginning of the world that he was going to engraft Gentile believers into the body of Israel. And so now today, the church is Israel, folks. Again, the church is Israel. And so in no sense am I saying Gentiles has replaced the Jewish people, but simply the Gentile believers have come to be a part of this body of believers known as Israel. Again, the church is Israel. And so Jesus, he tells us this several times in his ministry. In uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 28, 29, he says, In that place, talking about hell, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I think you guys know the rich man and Lazarus story. Uh, this is Lazarus. I think when he was in hell, he was saying in that place, there'll be, well, I think I'm butchering this. Hold on, let me go back, make sure I got this right. Let me read the verse. Anyway, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets and kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out and they will come from east and from west and north and south and they recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Listen to this. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and they will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And so here you have this picture of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jews, but you have all this picture of all these people in heaven reclining at the table, all one big family. It's not two families. Jesus also says in John 10, verse 16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. If you guys know anything about John 10, John 10 was talking, he was talking about Israelites, of course. He has sheep, which are his people, the Israelites, the Jews, Jews, whatever. But also, he had other sheep that he was going to draw to himself that were not a part of this fold. Listen to this. He says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. So there's one flock. There's not two flocks, as some teach in dispensationalism. But simply, there is one flock, one God. There is one people of God, not two. So Israel and the church are not two separate entities, but rather Israel is the church. The church is Israel. Listen again. First Corinthians, uh, first Corinthians 10 verse 1, Paul says, For I did not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Listen again. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers, the you here is Gentiles. And he, Paul says that our fathers, that means, again, Abraham's our father, Moses is our father, David's our father. The history of Israel is our history. We're not Jews by race, but we are spiritual Jews because we profess the same God that Abraham believed in. And in Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Of course, that's fulfilled in Jesus. But, again... There is a type of theology out there today that does, in fact, teach the opposite of what I'm saying. They would teach today that, yes, 
the Gentiles have indeed replaced the Jewish people. But not only this, that the Jews today have, uh, because they rejected uh, their Messiah, they are under judgment for killing the Messiah and continue continuing to reject him. And so again, I'm repeat that. There is a um, theology out there that today that teaches the opposite of what I said. They will say the opposite of what I said, and they will say, um, yes, Gentiles have indeed replaced the Jewish people. But not only this, they will say, too, the Jews today rejected and are under the judgment simply for killing Jesus, but also for continuing to reject the Messiah. This is what many call today punitive replacement theology, punitive replacement theology. And so we definitely must reject this theology. Replacement theology, again, teaches that the church has replaced Israel or the church supersedes Israel, meaning, again, they basically replace Israel. And notice how nowhere in what I said today have I said that the church has replaced Israel, but rather I've said Gentiles have come to be a part of the same body of believers that the Jewish people were a part of. I'm talking about the spiritual the spiritual Jews, though, of course. And so the church is Israel. And we also should take into consideration what Paul says in Romans 11 about not being too puffed up for pride, but keep us humble because you guys know. Just read Romans 11. I'm going to get to it a little bit later. Actually, quite in a few. But here is the crucial point of what many people waiting for has god forgotten the nation of israel meaning is there still a plan for ethnic israel and i think for many people when they hear me pre when they hear um people teach what i taught today their minds simply go to like okay kj is saying that oh there is not a plan for israel the church has replaced israel and now the gentiles have received all the blessings that the people of God in the Old Testament received. And that's not what I'm saying. Again, um, Israel is the church. And the church is just simply a, a continuation of Israel. Israel has never been defined solely by race. Again, I, I gave you guys the definition of what Israel is. And so I, by no means am I saying the Gentiles has replaced Jews, but rather, again, now Gentiles have joined the Jew, the spiritual Jews, of course. And so now there's one big family, and this is known as the church or spiritual Israel. And that's why we're spiritual Jews, because we believe and profess the same God Abraham believed in. And now there is no distinction, for there is no, neither Jew or Greek. You guys know that. That's what Paul teaches. And so what I'm saying should never be viewed that the Gentiles has replaced uh, the Jew. And so, yes, um, there is a future plan for the Jew. But, listen to me clearly, we have to agree what Paul says. Paul says, yes, there is a future for Israel. But, that future and that hope for the Jewish people or nation, according to Paul, is the regathering back to the same olive tree that we are in today. Not a different one, or not a distinct one, meaning there will be a dis, uh, basically a different future for the Jews and the Gentiles, but rather the only hope a Jew has today 
is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only future for the um, the Jewish nation. And so Paul, he destroys this premise as we learned today. Like I said, he teaches that no, there is not two different peoples of God. There is only one. And so there's not two different olive trees. There's not two different trees, but rather there's one tree. And Gentiles have come to be a part of this one tree, this family of God. We are Israel. We are spiritual Israel. Again, I keep saying this, but I want you to leave knowing this. The church is Israel, and the church is just a continuation of Israel. The church has not replaced Israel, but the church is Israel. Again, Gentiles in, the, in this body of Christ, that is the church, has not replaced Jews. And God does, in fact, have a plan for Israel. But again, the only hope a Jew has today is simply believing on the name Jesus Christ and they will be saved. Listen to me clearly. It does not matter if you're a Jew, African-American, Hispanic, Caucasian. If you die and do not profess Christ, you are going to hell. That's what my Bible teaches. Romans um, 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. Romans 3, 10. There is no one who's righteous. No, not one. I don't care what family you are born in. You are born under the curse of sin. And that includes Jewish people. So for a Jew to die without Christ, they do not get any special privileges. If you die without Christ, you are going to hell. And so Paul, he never teaches us that Jews have special privileges, that if they die without Christ, they're going to heaven. Or they're guaranteed special privileges by being a Jew. No, but rather... All his promises have always belonged to the remnant within Israel. Again, the spiritual um, Jews. Of course, all of this is fulfilled in Christ. So all this is belong, all these promises belong to Christ and are thus fulfilled in him. And through our unity, both the Jew and the um, Gentile, now all these promises belong to us because they were fulfilled in Christ, if I'm making sense. But... Let me let me go through the book of Romans 9 through 11, because Paul, he deals with this very issue. Does God still have a plan for the nation Israel? And for me, you know, there's kind of a kind um, some diversity within the reformed community about this subject. But for me personally, I cannot honestly read Romans 9 through 11, you know, verse by verse by verse without thinking in my mind that God does have a plan with the Jewish people but when i get done i want you to listen to paul's words clearly because again it has always been the remnant in physical israel is never god never promised wait let let me read these verses before I, I say anything let us let scripture interpret scripture romans 9 starting verse 1 paul deals with this issue does god have a plan for israel listen to what paul says Romans 9, verse 1 through 8. I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and uneasy grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separate from Christ for the sake of my brethren, the Jew, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belong the adoptions of the Son, and the glory and the covenant, and the giving of the law, and the temple services and the promises. Where are the fathers, and for whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all God blessed forever? 
Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, has it? For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor they all children because they are Abraham's descendant. But though, I, but through Isaac, your descendant will be named. That is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. So again, God has never promised to save every single Jew. And so today, if a Jew were to go to hell, we can't say all oh, the promise of God have been negated or God's a liar. But simply, again, Paul is saying here that God has never promised to save every single Jew. It's always been the remnant. And he didn't say, uh, he says in Isaac, um, your descendants will be named. So again, it's not the physical Jews who are blessed. It's always These promises always belong to the spiritual Jews. And these are all fulfilled in Christ. That's why these promises go to us, because in Christ we receive these blessings. So listen to what um, Paul says in Romans 9, verse 30. But again, it should be worth noting again, it's so crucial that you guys understand God has never promised to save an entire nation of Jewish people. He never promised to save every single Jew. Nor has the promises belonged to every single Jew. The promises have always belonged to those who were of faith, who were children of Abraham, who believe in Abraham's God. So today, you who are in Christ receive these same promises because in Christ we receive these blessings by believing in the God of Abraham. So Paul then says, Romans 9 verse 30, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness obtain righteousness, even the righteousness by which faith, but Israel pursued the law of righteousness did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. So as Paul Paul's saying basically here, what then? Has the Gentiles received this, these blessings? Because of Israel, you know, failed to obtain it. By no means, because in chapter 10, starting verse 1, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. Then finally, in chapter 11, we hear this. Listen very closely. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be, for I too am an Israelite. You guys know that Paul was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was a Jew. But listen again. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I, too, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people, whom he foreknew. As you guys know, um, Paul, he's saying simply, and you guys know that, again, I, I mentioned earlier how this, church, this early church was mainly uh, made up of Jews. And all the apostles were Jews. Paul himself was a Jew. So the promise of God couldn't have been negated. Because Paul himself was a Jew and he had received the promise of salvation. But well, basically Paul's argument is that he himself is a Jew. Therefore, God has not forgot his people, that is the Jewish people, because he himself received the blessings. 
And then he says in Romans um, 11, verse 7 to 11, he says, What then? What Israel is seeking, it is not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, yes, to see, eyes to see, not eyes to see not, and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table be a snare and a trap, and a stumbling block of retribution to them. Let their eyes be dark and see not, and bend their backs forever. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. Listen to this. But by their transgression, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Again, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them, the Jews, jealous. Then he says, but if some, in verse 17, but if some of the branches are broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them, and became partaker with them of the root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. Basically being mean towards the Jews. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your fate. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he would not spare you either. Behold, then the kindness and severity of God to those who fail, severity to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again, the Jews. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more would these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? So think about this. The illustration that Paul has given us is that you have this tree and you have this branch. And this branch are just basically simply the natural branches are part of this tree. As you guys know, trees have branches <laughs> and are natural branches. But you can graft on other branches and over time, it's, it's basically as though the branches have become one, a part of this tree. And so, in essence, that's what God did with us. You have this branch, and this branch makes the, this tree, I meant. This tree makes up the people of God. And the natural branches are the Jews. But the, the wild branches will be us, the Gentiles. And so, God has grafted onto this tree the Gentiles. And over time, it is though... Like we see today, the church is Israel. We have become a part of Israel, the Gentiles. And so there is not two separate trees, but rather there is one tree. And what Paul is saying here is that God is able to graft the natural branches who are the Jews back into the family of God. But keep in mind, um, Paul is not saying that all Jews are not able to come a part of this tree today, meaning that Jews today, if they profess Christ, are not able to be a part of this tree or salvation. Because, again, the early church, I think in Peter's first sermon, 3,000 souls came to faith. Those 3,000 souls were Jews. In Peter's second sermon in Acts, 5,000 souls came to Christ. And also in Acts 6, 
you see, um, verse 7, I believe, you see many Jews come to faith. And so Jews are coming to faith. Paul is not saying that there is a like a full hardening entirely on the nation of Israel because they reject the Messiah. Because he himself was a Jew and he came to faith and he received the blessings of Abraham in Christ or by being in Christ in unity. And so that's not what Paul is teaching. He even says this in Romans 11, verse 25. He says, for I do not want you, brethren, to be on the form of this mystery so that you would not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened unto Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel be saved. Then he says this, from the standpoint of the gospel, they, the Jews, are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient. And because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. So listen to this. It's so crucial. We were at one point the natural, uh, the wild. You, you know what I'm trying to say. We were at one point cut off from the kingdom of God. And so in the Old Testament, these Jews were making up what is known as this church. Israel. And you guys know Israel was a type of the church in the Old Testament. And so the church was mainly consistent of Jewish believers. But now when we get to the New Testament, you guys see that the Jews rejected their Messiah. And so now they are in a state of apostasy. But it is only a partial hardening because, again, all the apostles were Jews. The early church consisted of Jews. You see that all throughout the book of Acts. And it's only later in the book of Acts when finally Gentiles are coming within this church. But again, there is only one body. There is one tree. And these branches make up this tree. But still, there's only one body of God. And so what Paul is saying here is that God is able to graft these branches back in, these natural branches, God is able to do it. But listen clearly, it's not the entire nation of Israel. It's simply a remnant within the nation of Israel that he's going to save because God has never promised to save the entire nation of Israel. It's always been the remnant. Again, the covenant of redemption, God established a truth within himself that he will redeem a people. And so, these people that God is saving, a part of physical Israel, these Jews, belong to this covenant of redemption. They belong to Christ because God foreknew these Jews, a part of physical Israel, and he's going to bring those Jews, the remnant, on a national level to be a part of spiritual Israel. They're now going to, they're going to basically enter, they're going to leave physical Israel to be a part of the true Israel, that is the church, spiritual Israel. And so the promises have always been for spiritual Israel, never to the flesh. They always have belonged to Abraham's descendants. And so all this is fulfilled in Christ, of course. So, yes, again, God does still have a role for the Jews. And it's simply to bring souls apart of physical Israel who are dead to be a part of the true Israel. That is spiritual Israel. Again, I keep saying this, but. I guess if you repeat something, people learn it better. <laughs> God never promised to save every single Jew. But his promises have always been for the Jews who belong 
to the covenant of redemption. Those Jews that God foreknew. So, the Bible specifically teaches us, well, Paul teaches us that there is one tree, one body of believers. This makes up spiritual Israel, or this is what is known as true Israel, or what is commonly known today as the church. Israel is the church. And so, in these last days, the Bible teaches us that Christ, when Christ returns, he will save a remnant of Jews in the future. And many Christians today, they say that this will be on a national level. But again, Christ is not going to save the entire nation of Jews, but simply a remnant, a part of the physical Israel. They will be placed back into the olive tree. And so these Jews will then be a part of spiritual Israel. Again, scripture clearly teaches this. Listen again to what Paul says in Romans 11, verse 25 26. For I do not want you, brethren, to be on the form of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, so all Israel be saved. And again, Paul is not saying all Israel in the sense of every single Jew. But what Paul is saying is when this remnant joins, it'll be on a national level. And so all Israel who are a part of this remnant that belong to the covenant of redemption will join spiritual Israel. And this will make up all Israel. Because all Israel are the part of the remnant will be saved. So now there did like I said, there's diversity within the reformed community because many people will say that um Again, the church is Israel, so they would say that when these Gentiles, um, as the gospel in the last days before Christ returns, the gospel will spread, and that basically before Christ returns, the gospel will spread to every single person that belongs to Him, and they will be saved. And once they're saved, all the Gentiles, they will join this church, and Christ will return. And so, when the Gentiles join this church, that'll make up all of Israel. And so all Israel will be saved because all the Gentiles that are in the covenant of redemption have been saved. But that's not what this scripture is teaching quite clearly. It's saying that the remnant, all of them will be saved. And so all of Israel, the remnant that belong to Christ in the part of the covenant of redemption will make up all of Israel. And they will join this same olive tree. Now, why do I say that? Because scripture interprets scripture. In the Old Testament, we see when Jesus returns, God says something would happen. Again, Scripture interprets <laughs> Scripture interprets Scripture. Never um, should we give our opinions, but let Scripture do its job. And so, God tells us clearly when Christ returns, something unique is going to happen. Do you guys remember um, in the Book of Acts? As you guys know, Acts is considered the fifth gospel. Me and my pastor are preaching the book of Acts at our church. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has already received his glorified body. As you guys know, he's, had, he's been with his apostles for 40 days and 40 nights. Teaching them about the kingdom of God. And so, at the end of this ministry, the, the apostles asked him, as it, is this, as it is this time that you're going to restore the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the time of the seasons. But basically says, you go and fulfill the Great Commission, sharing the gospel. And so listen to this. After that, uh, Acts 1 verse 9 says, He was lifted up 
Jesus, of course, he's going to be in heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father. This is known as the exaltation of Jesus. But anyway, he, listen again to Acts 1, verse 9 to 12, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and the great cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently in the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you in heaven will come in just the same way as as you watch him go into heaven. Listen to this. This is crucial, 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 crucial. Listen to this. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olive, which is near Jerusalem, as Sabbath day journey away. So listen to this again to clearly. This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you watched him go. What happened? Jesus went to heaven on a mount called Olive. And so these angels proclaimed to the apostles that Jesus, in the same way you saw him leave the Mount of Olives, he will return again back down to the Mount of Olives. Well, if that's true, is there any other passage of scriptures that teaches this? And the answer is yes. Listen to this. Zechariah 14, verse 4. It says, And that day his feet, that is Christ, will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in the middle. Zechariah 14, verse 4. And so in that day, his feet, Christ, will return again. And when his feet touch the Mount of Olives, listen to what Zechariah chapter 12 says. God says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the habits of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace, of supplication. So they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. And that day there will be great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning in a plain of Megiddo. I believe. <laughs> the lamb will mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and the wives by themselves. The family of the house of Nathan by itself and the wives by themselves. The family of the house of Levi by itself and the wives by themselves. The family of the, Semite, the Shemites by itself and the wives by themselves. All the families that remain, every family by itself and the wives by themselves. And so basically there is going to be a great mourning of the Jewish people because they will see the Messiah whom they killed. They will finally recognize that this was indeed the Messiah. How I know that? Because Zechariah 13 says this. And that day... I found a fountain will be open for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for impurity. It will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third, be, the, but the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, They are my people. And they will say, The Lord is my God. Again, it should be worth noting. Noting in this text, it says uh, two parts of it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left. Again, God has never promised to save an entire nation of Jews, but rather the remnant. The third here is the remnant that God's going to save. He clearly says this in Zechariah 13, 8 through 9. And it's this remnant that God's going to bring to be a part of the olive tree. And so this remnant so basically, you have physical Israel, that is the Jewish people born by race, a Jew, but a part of that physical 
entity, God's going to take a remnant of them and bring them back to the church or to be a part of the church. And so in this way, all Israel will be saved. And so this remnant and all the Gentiles, they'll make up what is known as all of Israel. And so, again, I keep on saying that the promise has never been for the entire nation of Israel, but it's always been for the spiritual children of Abraham in Christ. And so, as you guys know, this partial hardening that's been placed on the Jewish nation when they rejected Messiah, that's what that's what happened. A, a partial hardening has been placed on Israel because they have rejected their Messiah. And so this is not there right now. Israel is in a state of apostasy, but it's only a partial hardening because that that, that the, basically this does not say that um, a Jew today can, cannot be a part of the church. That's not what we're saying. But Israel as a nation as a whole is in a state of apostasy because they indeed have rejected their Messiah. Why are they in this state? Listen to what Jesus says. Matthew 23, verse 39. Jesus says, For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What the world is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about his second coming. Because during the time of ministry, Jesus is going to get ready to die on the cross. And so Jesus is going to leave them. And you guys know that in 70 AD, a lot went down. But anyway, for these Jews that were, that were listening to Jesus, he says, For I say to you now, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, what he's talking about? He's talking about his second coming because, again, in Zechariah, it tells us when they see him, that is Christ, they will mourn for they will recognize they, this is indeed our Messiah. And so Zechariah's the prophet, the prophecy of Zechariah will actually indeed come true. And it kind of ties into what Jesus says here. And so again, for I say to you from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Zechariah is a true fulfillment of Jesus' own words. It's kind of kind of unique how scripture interprets scripture, but also how scripture fits all together. But it should probably be worth nerding too because you guys remember in the book of Zechariah that we read, they were mourning because of um, they were finally recognized that this is indeed our Messiah. But not only Zechariah, we also have proof in the most famous quoted gospel passages in Isaiah 53. If you guys don't know, Isaiah 53 is written in future tense, meaning it has not happened yet. I'm not saying that Christ hasn't died yet, but listen. It says, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hid their face. He was despised, and we, who is the we, not, did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, who is the hour. Yet we, who is the we, ourselves esteemed and shrinking, spent of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, who is the hour. The chastening for our well-being, who's the hour, fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. Who's the we? All of us, who's the us, like sheep have gone astray. Each of us, who's the us, <laughs> have turned to his own way. But the Lord has called the iniquity of us, who's the us, to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter. And like a sheep that is silenced before it is sheared, so he did not open its mouth. 
but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would rent himself as a gift offering. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of this anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, righteous one, my servant will justify the many as as we will bear their iniquities, as he, I meant, will bear their iniquities. And so here, the great morning that we've seen in Zechariah when Christ returns is seen here in Isaiah 53. And so in Zechariah, we see a morning in Isaiah 53. This is what they're mourning about because they finally understand the gospel. The Messiah that was killed and died for sins, this has been a long-awaited Messiah they've always been waiting for, but they rejected him. And so now, a great morning has happened. And so, in long run, God does have a plan for Israel. But again, Israel is the church, and the church is Israel. So when I say God, does God have a plan for Israel? I mean, God does still have a plan for the Jew. But the only hope for a Jew is in Christ. Again, it does not matter who your mother is, your father is, what family you're born into. If you do not believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. That's what the Bible teaches, right? But here, God has a remnant within physical Israel that he's going to bring to be a part of the church. And in this way, all of Israel, that is the remnant of Jews, will be saved that God has promised will be saved in the covenant of redemption. But not only that, when they come, this will make up all Israel. The church, the Gentiles, and the Jews will make up all Israel, and so all Israel will be saved. And so that's kind of what um, the Bible teaches. That's kind of what Paul teaches, that there is neither two olive trees, but rather there is one tree, one body of God, one shepherd, one flock. No, two, there's not two different futures. There's not a future for Israel, and it's not a different future. So basically, there's not a future for Israel, and there's not a different future for the church, that is the Gentiles. Rather, there's the same future. We're all one body of God, all in Christ Jesus. And so if you are a Gentile, your father is also Abraham, David, Moses, and Jacob, because we are all spiritual Jews. And so the, the Old Testament applies to you as well because it's history about our faith because we profess in the same God Abraham professed. And so, yes, the Old Testament, Old Testament does matter. But yeah, that's kind of overview. So hopefully you guys will leave kind of being more encouraged. And so if I see you and you heard this podcast, you better know what the definition of Israel is. Because <laughs> I said like five times, you also better know that the Israel is the church. Like always, my cash up name is PAY1515. <laughs>